All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I am extremely humbled, grateful, and honored to have uh, with us today someone who I must say, literally his actions speak for themselves. I have probably the most respect that anyone has for a journalist for this particular gentleman right over here. And the reason is because he has not let his foot off the gas. He hasn't stopped. And I really, really respect, appreciate that. And um I mean, I can personally in my books, I consider him one of the best journalists in at least in modern history. So I know that's a big thing to say. But with <laughs> with 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 that said, Mr. Coltart, thank you so much for coming back on the show, sir. It's been probably, I think, about a year and a half, if not a little bit more, give or take. But how are you today? G'day, Dave. Mate, I've got a head the size of a bus after that intro. Uh, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. You 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 don't stop, man. I I one thing I wanted to ask, uh, just to sort of hit this off, is that um, how have you been able to keep pushing in the way that you have, particularly in this area, in a field where there's so much deception, or at least alleged deception, to uh, get people from trying to find out the truth? There's a lot of things that make journalists get motivated about a story. But I can tell you, my friend, the reason why I'm so driven on this subject matter is because I've never had a response like I've had to this story in any story I've ever done before. As you and I both know, we've both spoken about a lot of my early work's been involved with covering organized crime. And um, I've covered sort of national security and defense issues in the past. And, you know, you'll get some response. And, you know, the public buy my books about Adelaide motorcycle gangs and stuff like that. But this one is just unprecedented. The level of interest, the level of public engagement and the level of contact that I'm getting from witnesses, experiences and insiders, people who um, have have decided to engage with me uh, and trust me. And I, I'm humbled. I genuinely am humbled by the fact that there are people who trust me and who recognize something in me that they feel uh, is worthy of engagement. And I, I'm humbled, I'm honored. And I, I feel a huge privilege to be covering this issue as a journalist, because I do, I, I, I think it's the most important story of our era. And I think in a hundred years time, people will look back and there'll be books written in journalism schools, if journalism still exists, There'll be books written in journalism schools about why and how the media was so deceived and allowed to sort of run for years, decades, with the perception that this is a subject matter that needs to be ridiculed and stigmatized and marginalized. Um, I know it's a real issue. I, I know because I'm talking to people on the inside who've taken me into their trust um, that, that this is something that is worthy of intense, rigorous journalistic investigation. And we should not mock uh, the people who are describing their knowledge and experience of the phenomenon. And um, it requires investigation. And frankly, if I don't do it, nobody else will. And that's one of the reasons why my respect for you is off the charts and it just keeps going more and more. Um, so with that said, I'm going to ask something perhaps a little direct and um, uh, you respond as you deem fit respectfully. Uh have you spoken to anyone, whether government and or uh, private industry pertaining to the military industrial complex with respects to possession of any type of physical materials of sorts? If you can speak. Yes, I have. Yeah, okay. no, absolutely. I have. Now, everything I say here is prefaced with the fact that as a journalist, I recognize there's always the possibility for disinformation. There's always the possibility that 
what we're talking about here is some, and frankly, I don't know why it would be happening, but you know, some kind of active black disinformation program by the US government to hide some strategic weakness in their own technological advancements. But yes, there are multiple independent witnesses self-corroborating who are telling me that the United States has recovered non-human technology uh, and, and that they're in possession of craft. Now, as a journalist, um, I guess I really probably won't believe that 100% until I, I think I say this in my book, um, you know, until I literally kick the tires of the, the TR3B. But um, I, um, I do think that there is a persuasive level of evidence to suggest that there are, and there is, and there has been for quite some considerable time, a program in existence which has been kept highly confidential by sections of the US government and private aerospace, which is involved with the attempted back engineering of non-human technology. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I mean, I know that sounds to most journalists in the mainstream utterly preposterous, and I may be ridiculed for saying it, but there comes a time when you have a level of evidence and a level of witness reliability. And, you know, people will frustratedly say, I'm sure on social media, well, Kultat should just put up or shut up. You know, there's this kind of declaratory nonsense that you hear on social media that, you know, really I should just basically come out and spill all. And that reflects a basic misunderstanding of how journalism works. Journalism is by its very nature a covert, especially investigative journalism, it's a covert exchange of information. I've built relationships with people in my career over decades where people trust me. And I've been in a situation in a courtroom where I'm being questioned by a judge and by a cross-examining barrister and they're telling me I will go to jail if I don't reveal the name of a source. And I've said, well, Your Honour, if that's the case, I'm happy to go to jail. You know, the bottom line is source protection, protecting the identity of the people who provide me with information is absolutely fundamental unless I'm released from that uh, protection by the source. And mercifully in that court case, the source, who was a copper, <laughs> he um, he provided me with some information and... Um, I rang him in the break. The judge mercifully said, oh, Ross, um, why don't you take some time to think about this because I'm in the position where essentially I, I have to find a contempt if you don't answer the council's question and uh, that could result in jail time. And I remember I, I walked out in the um, in the court recess and I rang my source and I said, look, um, I'm not asking you to reveal yourself, but just so you know, I'm in a bit of a fix here. And he went, you know what, Russ? Fuck them. <laughs> you can name me. You can say my name. I don't care. Don't care in the slightest. And uh, he said it was for an honourable cause. Let them let them go me. And, of course, nothing ever happened. Uh, I was allowed to name him as my source, and um, the case went on, and we eventually won the case, uh, the defamation case that had been taken against us. But I do. I mean, I take it very, very seriously that I have to protect the confidentiality, the identity of sources that provide me with information. And there are people in the US government and in private aerospace who are engaging with me who who know things, who are under very, very heavy top secret SCI clearances and who are basically telling me that there is a program, period. End it's, of story. I'm in no doubt about that. 
if it's not too specific for me to ask, um, are could any of these sources potentially be uh, whether government or private industry from within the, I guess you could say physics uh, realm of things or any scientists or academics that that are conversing? Uh, yeah, yeah, there are there are definitely um, people who are <clears throat> scientists involved in the program with a background in physics. Um, and there are people involved in um, defense and intelligence uh, who've you know had a role in periphery of and involvement in the program. Yes. Are they um are you being told with respects to the occupants of these alleged or the alleged occupants of these alleged craft? are they are you getting more if you were to look across the board at your sources, are you getting more of a an ET type of scenario, more of a perhaps breakaway civilization that went literally underground someplace on the planet that developed uh, certain knowledge and science and tech faster than we have? what what are you getting in that aspect uh, in terms of the occupants? You might have noticed in my language in the nomenclature that I use, I've started using the term NHI, non-human intelligence, because it kind of covers all of that. Um, the difficulty I have is that some of what we're talking about is alien as in extraterrestrial, i.e. not of this earth. Some of it is allegedly, and I say allegedly because I'm in no position to be able to corroborate it, intra-terrestrial part of you know it's always been here or crypto-terrestrial that's the number one of the terms and some of it is interdimensional um now i'm not saying and I, I hasten to add you know that you often get these people that get excited on social media and they rush off and they say oh Coulthard says this i'm not saying this for sure i'm not saying categorically that i know this for sure what i am saying is what i'm being told and i'm a journal I'm, I'm i'm a journalist i'm only ever as good as what I'm told by people. And people lie. People can lie. People can deceive. And so, um, and I've, I've been lied to in the past. I'm sure I've been misled as, as we all have. You know, there's a lot of disinformation and lies. And, you know, there are people who specialize in, in essentially sowing falsehoods into their narratives in the whole UAP story in order to try to pollute and contaminate the entire narrative. It's a very, very clever game that's been being played. And so, you know, and I've had people approach me who I'm absolutely sure are stooges that are being put up by people like the Air Force to try and get false information out there, which can subsequently be discredited. So I preface everything I've just told you with the fact that it could all be complete bullshit. Well, speaking of uh, of misinformation, bullshit, all that kind of stuff, um, you had recently done a fantastic episode with your colleague, uh, Bryce Zabel, uh, where you had discussed that some of what you were being told on the inside with respects to the particular alleged shootdowns of the UAP in February, I think, uh, between the American-Canadian border was in fact not a shootdown. Could you go into any more detail with respects to that in terms of perhaps what really went on there? Because the footage is not being allowed to be disclosed or declassified to anyone. Again, I preface everything I say with the fact that this is what I've been told by two fairly reliable sources, so it could still be wrong. But I've been told that there should be closer, rigorous media examination of the dead horse UAP shootdown, which took place in Alaska, not on the Canadian border. It was in Alaska. And um, it was just beyond the small town of um, Dead Horse, which literally is at the end of a highway to nowhere, 
um, rushes across the ocean and it's in the middle of nowhere. And it looks like the engagement took place over the sea ice just off Dead Horse, which is a few kilometres from the end of the Alaskan continent. Um, I'm told that there was an attempted shoot-down, but that the shoot-down was not successful, but that something was seen to fall off the object, whatever it was, but that the primary object maintained its altitude and course and was not in the least bit affected by the Sidewinder missile. And I'm told that this is why the video is being suppressed. Now, I could be wrong. It could just be complete BS. It could be a classic illustration of the kind of disinformation that's given to somebody like me by malign sources to try and get falsehoods out there. But I do think it's it's interesting that the President of the United States has confidently asserted that these objects are all prosaic, that they can be easily explained by weather balloons or hobby balloons of some kind. If that's genuinely the case, then why is the military refusing to release those videos? I mean, think about it. If it's a bloody weather balloon, why did we need a half million dollar sidewinder missile to shoot it down? And I mean, there's just so much that's not explained about these incidents. I'm told in all likelihood, the other two incidents over Alaska and um, and the United States, not Alaska, over uh, Canada, the Yukon in Canada and, the, and across um, the Great Lakes and the US, I'm told that those other two incidents almost certainly were prosaic. But I've been encouraged to look very closely at the dead horse incident. And um, I also had a completely separate source contact me from dead horse itself, who said that at the time of the search, the alleged search by US military, they were aware both of radar over the area and they were also aware of road access to the area and they never saw any evidence at all of any search. No helicopters, no trucks, no passing aircraft. So if there was a search over Dead Horse, I think the other question that should be being asked is, who did it? With what resources? When and where? Because <laughs> nobody up there knows anything about it. And and th this is the thing is that if you think about it, Dave, this is the one and only time in the history of NORAD, the one and only time in the history of NORAD, and one of the very few times at all in the history of the, of the United States, that hostile action has been taken against an aerial object over the United States. This is an historic moment where the United States deployed lethal force, sidewinder missiles, aim missiles from a fighter aircraft. And it, I think it had to be F-22s because they're the only ones that go, could go to a high enough altitude. Why is there such a low level of inquisitiveness, of, of curiosity by mainstream media? There are so many unanswered questions about these incidents, even the ones that were assured are prosaic. Bearing in mind, of course, the president has told the public that all three incidents are prosaic. If that's the genuine case, if that really is the case, then release the videos. If it's sources, means and methods that are betrayed by revealing the gun sights cameras from the F-22, then let's get a uh, an independent review of the gun sight video. Let's see the after action report from the pilot because all of these documents, all of these videos have been suppressed. Why? But also what I find puzzling is the level of a lack of curiosity from mainstream media. Who are these national security reporters that, that work for the major newspapers and television networks in the United States? 
you know, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I really do not understand why you can have such a huge moment where fighter jets at huge cost and expense, you know, with support aircraft, refueling aircraft were sent up at a cost of no doubt millions of dollars to deploy against objects that are entering American airspace. And the media just goes, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll glibly accept what our government says and move on. And this is why the hearing coming up with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's subcommittee, the Emerging Threats Subcommittee before the Senate Armed Services Committee on Wednesday the 19th is so important because hopefully in open session, Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of um, ARO, the All-Domain Anomaly, what is it? Resource, I've forgotten what is it? Resolution Office, Aero, I think it is. Aeros, Aeros anomaly, aerospace Anomaly, Resol yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I hope that he gets asked questions about these incidents. I'm told a lot of the interesting stuff's going to happen in closed hearing. But, um, you know, there really does need to be an accounting for this. I mean, we were told by the President of the United States, no less, that all of these incidents across the continental USA and Canada could be explained away prosaically. And if that really is the case, why are people telling me different about one of those incidents over Alaska? And not only that, but if to, to my next point, uh, the if I'm not mistaken, there was a gentleman uh, who was in, if I'm not, please correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it was either the Air Force or the Navy that you had uh, stated that uh, he spoke to you in confidence pri shortly prior to his passing. And he had said to you at one point, I'm paraphrasing here, after many days of speaking with him, he said, Ross, when are you going to ask me the question, so to speak? And <laughs> you, had, you had asked him about, yeah. uh, is, are you, was there any possession of reverse engineering craft and what have sure. you? But, the, you the, guy, the guy you're talking about is Nat Kobitz who was the um he was a essentially the chief geek for the US Navy for decades like one of the top scientists for the US Navy and he literally worked out at China Lake a lot and did a lot of the very early research for the US Navy on a lot of their most advanced technology and yeah he did he told me after months of conversations that um he had been read into a crash retrieval program where the United States had purportedly recovered multiple non-human alien craft and that they were involved in attempts to re reverse engineer that technology. Was uh, there, I, there was something that stuck out to me very peculiar in, in the sense that he, there was one uh, point of the conversation where I believe where he had said to you something about, uh, please correct me here if I'm wrong, uh, some type of energy protective weapon where he had said, yeah, we put that thing two feet into the ground. C could you break that down a little bit for oh, us? Oh, no, no. I think you're mixing it up a little bit. There's a, there was a drone that they developed, which was ah. a, um, uh, and they were flying. <laughs> they were flying. He told me it is a funny story. Basically, they were developing very early drone technology and they'd spent quite a bit of money for their day on developing this one drone technology. Uh, what do you call it, prototype. And um, unfortunately, they were flying it in Texas near George Bush Sr.'s ranch. And um, the Secret Service quite properly has equipment that jams electromagnetic uh, signals in the air to stop um, people doing exactly what they were doing, right. which is flying hostile radio-controlled craft anywhere near the president's dwelling. And um, Unfortunately, that lost contact with their experimental prototype drone. And um, uh, Nat described to me how it was buried sort of three feet in the earth because it, you know, it was wiped out as a result of the signal being cut. And um, they blew their drone project as a result.
Wow. Wow. So when you, for example, when you speak to these different individuals or these different sources and what have you, um, even for example, the sources that have provided you with the information of this alleged group called Group K, um, could you elaborate uh, any chance, uh, if, if at all, on the potential uh, motif or motives of this Group K or what their, uh, I guess you could say their intent is or what they're basically what they're all about, allegedly? Sure. Look, I'm told that the nomenclature for the organization or group of people who are essentially the gatekeepers for the program has changed since the Group K term. I thought it was a more recent term, but I'm told by scientists that helped me with this inquiry that it was um, largely confined to people working in the Los Alamos nuclear laboratories and I think the Hanford nuclear bomb laboratories, they noticed that a lot of their colleagues were disappearing off on a mysterious project that, and, and it was for some reason called Group K. And um, uh, several of them have told me that it involved what we, you and I now would call the program. But um, I, I, when I put that out the other week, I was sort of testing the water to see whether the term Group K is still in use, because there's a lot of speculation, of course, as you and I both know, about what is the nomenclature for the um, the organisation, if such an organisation exists, that um, that has control of the knowledge pertaining to the programme. And uh, somebody had suggested to me that it was contemporarily the Group K term, and um, I put it out there just to see, but I'm told that it's no longer that term and it hasn't been that term for quite some time. So whatever the term is, it's not Group K, but um, it was many times ago, many years ago, but uh, it's not anymore. If if you had to take a, 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 a an approximate hypothesis or your best guess, do you think that, again, if such a group were to exist, would they perhaps reside within uh, a combination of private industry uh, academia, uh, military, government, military, if or maybe one of them, or no. Look at uh, to be honest, I can tell you the group K I'm talking about was largely within the Department of Energy, and okay. the Department of Energy, frankly, I think is the holy grail of where we're all meant to be looking. Um, I, I do think that up until the 1970s, pretty much all of this was being run out of the DOE with periphery interest from different three-letter agencies, including arms of the military, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force. Um, uh, but I'm told that most of it was divested into private aerospace in the 1970s uh, because the DOE was coming um, under uh, greater accountability controls such as the General Accounting Office and um, or the Government Accounting Office, the GAO. I think it's excluded still from freedom of information laws, but... Um, uh, I think there was an awareness in government that um, the program needed to be better protected. And a decision was made, I think, under Nixon that the um, the um, the issue of any recovered material was best divested out into private aerospace. And I think that's where it is now. Well, speaking of different branches of the military and of the government and all of that, I wanted to ask your um, understanding and if you could, uh, for the audience and myself, break down for us this alleged Andrews individual, if I'm not mistaken. 
um, with respects to these uh, abilities, some self-healing abilities after experiencing a certain phenomenon? Uh, look, I, I don't know a lot more than what's been said in the Simon & Schuster publicity, the pre-publicity for, um, for the book. But uh, yeah, it's a guy called Scott Andrews. That's a pseudonym, I'm told, uh, who has a, a defense intelligence military background. Um, Simon & Schuster are promoting his book. I'm told it's not even written yet, that it's still got to go through Department of Defense pre-publication vetting for national security secrets. But um, he makes extraordinary claims that um, uh, he discovered in papers after his father's death documents, which allegedly showed that he was in the US Air Force as a child, which just sounds like crazy stuff. It sounds like something out of Stranger Things, you know the Montauk experiments, but basically there were these weird experiments involving high intellect kids. And um, it all just sounds crazy, were it not for the fact that Lou Elizondo and others I've spoken to privately have vouched for this guy as being a man of high integrity and a person who should be listened to. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Simon and Schuster have essentially done a pre-publicity blurb saying that this guy's book is going to be coming out presumably either later this year or early next year. And um, I don't know a lot more than that, but, um, you know, what what has been said, I, I can give you some of the details because I, I did a printout of what the guy said. It was, um, <laughs> it's quite an amazing story. Um, the guy, um, I mean, Simon and Schuster essentially um, have been involved in a bidding war for this story. And essentially, he's a former U.S. soldier, decorated intelligence officer who conducted global counterterrorism operations on behalf of the U.S. for 36 years. Shortly after returning from an overseas mission, he began to suffer from rare life-threatening ailments that defied medical explanation rather than succumbing. He instead began to experience special inexplicable abilities such as remote viewing, and his body began to heal baffling doctors. As he sought more information about his health, Andrews came across a file compiled for him by his late father. It contained records from a past he did not remember, including documents indicating he was removed from school for weeks every year from the first through 12th grades. The records also contained the information that he'd received an honorable discharge from the U.S. Air Force, presumably as a child, and that he'd worked in space intelligence communications as a minor. He maintains he has no memory of having served in the U.S. Air Force. He then met a man who ran the um, a, a, a classified White House National Security Council program, which had been delegated to the Department of Defense. He was introduced to a doctor. That doctor worked for the CIA, uh, helped him piece together what had happened to him. He says he experienced symptoms associated with Havana syndrome, a phenomenon first reported by military personnel working at the U.S. Embassy in Havana. And so that's that's what's appeared from Simon and & Schuster. And then uh, Lou, Lou basically, Lou Elizondo came out and basically said, you can take it to the bank that this guy's for real. And I checked him out with my own sources independently of Elizondo, and he's right. Um, it is for real. Uh, but basically, this guy is who he says he is, and he's making these claims. Um, amazing stuff, if true. I mean, um, there's been a lot of speculation about children. And one thing that I see as a really interesting parallel in this whole story is for those of us who followed the fiction and non-fiction writing of Tom DeLong, one of the 
first thrillers that Tom DeLong wrote as part of his Secret Machines series. I commend to everybody because it's one of those books you've got to read between the lines. You know, you, people often write stuff in fiction that they can't write as nonfiction. And um, there's a there's a fictional book in which the character, the main character, is a former US Air Force officer who discovers that he too had a childhood where he was secretly selected for his intelligence and taken away and used for some kind of secret military program by the US Air Force. Um, I know this all sounds like crazy stuff, and frankly, there is no evidence to support at the moment what the guy is saying, other than the fact that there are people of credibility who vouch for him. Um, but, gee, I'd, I'd love to hear his story. I'd love to investigate it further and know more. Well, I do think, Dave, I, I, I think we're... Uh, we are going to know a lot within the next six months to a year, a lot more than we know now. There's a lot happening behind the scenes. There's an incredible amount that's been given in closed skiffs, testimony to the Congress, different committees of the Congress, where <laughs> I know Congress, congressional representatives and senators have had their worldview rocked by some of the revelations that have been given in closed hearings. But I'm not holding my breath, frankly, that the revelations from Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of AARO, the UAP office for the Pentagon, are going to be anything substantial this coming week. Do you think in the, over the course of, say, even the next six to 12 months, do you think that with respects to um, the public being informed on anything, not not necessarily coming from, say, POTUS, the president, or even, you know, the UN or anything of this type, but do you see any type of divulging or disclosing of anything substantial to the public over the next six to 12 months or more so uh, politicians finally being briefed and filled in? I think it's more the latter. I, I, think, I don't think you're ever going to see... Because the legal and, frankly, the criminal implications of what we're talking here are quite extraordinary. I mean, if, and I say if, I emphasize if, if there really is a secret program which is concealing the fact that the United States has retrieved non-human technology and that it's been trying to back-engineer that technology to greater or lesser success, if we really are in contact or aware of a non-human intelligence on this planet, if that's the case, there have been crimes committed, lies told by politicians at the highest levels of your government and mine to try and conceal that. And um, the big issue is whether they were committed legally or illegally. So no government's going to stand up in front of a lectern and make admissions of their own incompetence or their own reckless behaviour or worse still, their own illegal or possibly criminal behaviour. I mean, you know, there's there's going to be a reckoning at some stage. If if the if what I understand and what I know has been told by various witnesses to the Congress in secret hearings, I mean, I'm I'm privy to what has been told to certain committees in the Congress. Frankly, if the public knew that, they would be, you know, every newspaper in the country, everybody, every newspaper on the planet. Every TV network on the planet, every journo would be on it like a dog on a bone. You know, the issue would no longer be in question. People would be aggressively investigating. And that's what the US government knows because a large part of this, I'm actually quite sympathetic with Dave. I mean, I'm, you know, you and I both know that if this technology is real, it represents the capacity for awesome, 
fearsome weaponry. You know, it, it could destroy the planet if if this type of technology that we think lies behind this is real. You're talking about, you know, the capacity to, you know, essentially deploy unlimited amounts of energy in a way that could be used as a, a plasma weapon or a beam weapon of some kind. And um, it just so happens that the same type of, type of technology, if it exists, could also be used as a propulsion system or as a power system. And the difficulty I think that the decision makers are wrestling with is there are a lot of crazy nutters out there, you know, religious zealots, political extremists, who, if if this technology is as simple as we understand it to be, could misuse that technology for improper means. So I don't think you're ever going to see, at least in the short term, from politicians standing at a lectern at admission that the US is in possession of retrieved technology and that it's trying to back engineer it or that it has successfully back engineered it. But what I don't understand is why, if it is the case, there cannot be some admission made of an awareness of a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet. I think the public does need to be prepared. Right. Because I do think people would be scared if it's just concealed from them. I mean, the public over the last 70 to 80 years has been taught to ridicule, stigmatize and Know, just laugh off the whole issue of the potential for there to be a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet. People who've come forward and told their stories have been ridiculed and um, marginalised by governments. And, you know, even to this day, you know, you've had public officials getting up, who I know know better, standing up and basically denying all. At some stage, there's going to have to be a reckoning about this, and I think. There is a way, there's a middle way, there's a middle ground for officials to responsibly engage with the public. Because fundamentally, at its heart, Dave, you know, your country, one of the great things about America is, you know, for all of its wrongs, for all of the terrible mistakes that have been made along the way by crook politicians and, you know, dodgy, dodgy decision makers. There's still a fundamental skeleton of a democracy there with accountability controls and transparency requirements and constitutional protections. At some stage, somebody has to basically sit back and go, you know what? The public has a right to know. And this is what we think the public should know about in a very controlled way, making it an admission that yes, there is a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet, if that's right. the case. Well, I have just two more questions for you, sir. And to follow along the lines of what you've been discussing, and uh, I'm, I'm, and my audience, which I'm sure will immensely appreciate the extensive uh, responses and detail of of your answers. Um, have you, sir, come across? I'm just reading here the questions. Have you come across whether speaking to various sources and or your own private research, any possibilities of some form of whether? Um, Gravito Electric or Magneto Gravito uh, propulsion uh, discoveries that were announced, but then s later um, retracted and then s stigmatized on a grander scale, so as to discourage investigation. Into yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the United States is actively researching um, propulsion systems that involve attempts at developing anti gravity. Right now, I'm sure that's ongoing. 
and forgive me not to press you, but have you come across anyone that said, hey, guys, I, whether deliberately or accidentally, a scientist going, we discovered something here, but then it was later retracted, whether... There, there, there are certainly allegations that, and claims that, uh, that I think have some substance that I'm investigating that, that do involve the allegation that the United States long ago made a breakthrough in electrogravitics. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean, think about it, Dave, wouldn't you keep it secret if you had a breakthrough like that? One of my first concerns with, if we were to put aside the, the, we could, you know, the, the fanatics and the zealots and all that kind of stuff and the extremists would be, well, if I had discovered it with a group of other individuals, unfortunately, because of human nature, one of my concerns would be, well, is someone else going to try and have the rest of us off just within the group alone? So to just in order to protect that intellectual property or secret, to your point, um, unfortunately, well, I, 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 I like to think the best of, you know, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know we've got pretty good reasons for thinking that a lot of people in power are pretty bloody crook. But, um, you know, I really, I, I always, as a journo, I've always been quite struck when I've met senior people in defense and intelligence that they do appear genuinely well motivated, you know, the, and the people that I've engaged with in your government privately, they're patriots, you know, they, they're people who would regard what they're doing rightly or wrongly as being done for the for the best reasons. And I think if there is something being concealed, they're concealing it largely because they're worried about losing power in the balance between China and Russia and that they don't want their Chinese Russian adversaries to know too much about what technologies they're developing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do have a strong suspicion. Let's put it at that. I have a strong circumstantial suspicion that the United States has made breakthroughs in electrogravitics and that it's concealing a lot of what it knows. But, you know, I've, I've tried on multiple occasions to encourage people to exchange with me a reason why it's being kept confidential. And the best explanation that I can get is that they're worried about its potential for it to be misused as a weapon. And they're also worried that nutters like Putin and Xi in China uh, are equally involved in essentially a Cold War arms race behind the scenes to try and develop these technologies. And the last thing, I mean, I, I'm really happy that America, if it has had this breakthrough, I'm really happy it's America that's done it. What I'm not happy about is that for some perverse reason, I think some people have taken the argument in, inside the defense and intelligence community that there's a floodgates argument here, that if you make one admission that there's a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet, then you also have to make the admission that we've got technologies and that we've been able to develop them from those non-human intelligence, if this is all the case. I don't buy that. I, I think that the public is ready for, and in fact, impatient for an acknowledgement, if this is the case. And um, one of the things that um, I love is what's called the wisdom of the crowd. And I see this often as a journalist, you know, quite often um, as a journalist, you'll find yourself on a wave of public opinion that the, pub the politicians are completely out of touch with on an issue. And, you know, often you know, it, it might be, for example, say, uh, decriminalization of marijuana or something like that. And there's a kind of a wisdom of the crowd that, goes, oh, fuck's sake, you know, seriously, these politicians just need to wake up to themselves and realise times have moved on, you know, public attitudes have changed. Public attitudes have changed on UAPs. 
They really have. I, I think most people are mentally prepared. They're not going to be frightened by the notion of a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet. I think they would also understand the need for national security imperatives to be applied to technologies that might be potentially highly dangerous. I think they would have bigger problems accepting it if there was evidence of concealment of energy systems that could save the world from a reliance on fossil fuels. And really, if, if there is any evidence at all, if there is any evidence at all that there is a good alternative available as a replacement to fossil fuels, which is clean, highly efficient and easy to create, then it's time to come up and be upfront about it. Uh, there has to be a way if such technologies exist for them to come out into the public domain. Because I'm, I'm really struck by the data sets that I get from different scientists and insiders who tell me that in terms of technological advancements in the US, it's very weird that in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, especially under Ben Rich at um, Skunk Works, the level of advancements were just extraordinary, you know, amazing stealth technology, you know, incredible developments in, in aerospace. And pretty much for the last 50 years, officially at least, publicly, bugger all, something is going on. You and I both know that. And I mean, I'm talking to people who tell me that there've been ex extraordinary advancements, extraordinary technological breakthroughs, and they're impatient for the public to be told that. But they're also concerned that some mad crackpot could use it as a weapon. And I think that's what government's wrestling with. Uh, and, and I don't want to sound like an apologist for the people making these decisions in the presumably the National Security Council or wh wherever it's being done. But I can understand. I really can. I can understand why there is a reservation about making admissions, especially since we're on the brink of war with China. Right. Now, with that said, and again, extremely appreciative of that that response, the final question, and uh, I, I imagine that if uh, you could uh, answer to to whatever extent you could this question, it will certainly absolve you of being uh, any type of alleged apologist, of which I don't think you are whatsoever. But putting the Department of Energy aside, um, I'm going to list a few different company names, simply wanted to ask, based on your hunch, your research, your sources, which one of these may have the most goods, if you will, in the private industry? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured to have a little bit of fun with this last one here. So again, putting the Department of Energy aside, um, we have a few here. We have um, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Honeywell, BAE, and Aerospace Corporation. If you had to take a guess between, if you pick, say pick two or three out of the six or seven I listed... Oh, certainly BAE, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and Raytheon, and maybe Battelle in there as well. That's right. Um, I forgot to put Battelle on the list, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues here, Dave, is that if you accept what I've been told uh, and how good that is, I, I do think that whatever the technologies are, they've been farmed out to different companies. I would also maybe also include, in terms of analysis of potential metamaterials, I would also include radiance technologies in there as well. Our friends Jay Stratton and uh, Travis Taylor, um, who are copying an enormous amount of criticism for their involvement in the Skinwalker Ranch TV series. But what's kind of been overlooked is that radiance is a 
big player. It's been very, very heavily funded by the Defence Department for some very, very interesting research. And I think one of the things is a lot of the people I've spoken to, they're not even sure that what they've been working with is truly non-human technology. Like Nat Kovitz was, I tell this in my book, He, um, after he left the Defence Department, after he left the US Navy, he was invited to come to the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base Foreign Technology Division and, and literally taken down on a lift into a subterranean floor and shown what he says on first impressions looked like a bulkhead, a huge piece of metal, which was um, roughly sort of three, four foot square. And he says it was incredibly feather light. But it was also, it involved the bonding of two different types of metal, and he could see that. And he was asked, because he was an expert in electron beam welding, which is a particularly fine type of welding that doesn't leave a bead like traditional uh, welding, he was asked whether this showed signs of being of that technique, electron beam welding. And when he looked at it at the atomic scale on electron microscope, he was blown away because whatever it was had been assembled at the atomic scale, like almost like somebody had basically layered atoms of different metals that ought not properly have been able to bond that way. And it was bonded in a way that he could not explain. But nobody's ever told him that it's alien, non-human technology, but he suspected very strongly that it was. And that's the way it works. These, these pieces of whatever they are, these pieces of technology are farmed out to different companies and they're basically shown them, but they're not told that these are alien ET. They're just And told, they're definitely you know, not shown the full picture or full apparatus, no, right? No, and quite clearly there's been disassembly of um, things and then people have been, and I think it's for good reason, you know, it's compartmentalized. And look, frankly, without wanting to sound like an apologist, I can understand that, you know, I, I really can. I mean... If I was the US and I was involved in a mortal, possibly mortal confrontation with the Russians and the Chinese right now, and I suspect we are, I think we're teetering on the edge of war at the moment with both of those countries, particularly with China, I would be making very, very sure that I had all my eggs in the one basket and that I've got the best, sorry for my watch beeping, there's people trying to communicate with me. Um, I would do. I would be doing my level best to um, make sure that um, uh, I didn't reveal that technology. And so that's a separate issue, though, and I keep on coming back to this. And I've been asked to, I've actually been asked this by somebody quite senior in a defense role in the US, you know, do I think that a, an admission could be made of a non-human intelligence if, if there was such an admission to be made? Do I think an admission could be made of a non-human intelligence without necessarily having to then answer questions from media about whether or not it's true now that um, recovery re recovered technology is now in the position of the US government. And I concede it's difficult. It is very, very difficult to see how you could make the one admission of a non-human intelligence without having to admit the other. I mean, the New York Times, no less, our friends Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane have reported claims made by Dr. Eric Davis that he has briefed um, uh, individuals in government about his awareness of crash retrieval programs in the US. So, you know, it's on the public record from multiple sources now that there is a strong 
degree of evidence to point to the likelihood that the United States is in possession of non-human technology. Chris Mellon's most recently hinted that very strongly, which is quite extraordinary from somebody as conservative as Chris to, to basically make that point. And I know for a fact that other witnesses who have not yet come into the public domain, but soon may, I know for a fact that Congressional committees have been told by confidential witnesses that the government is in possession of retrieved non-human technology, period. Now, whether that's true or not, that's the question. And, and that's the big mystery that I think if Congress is doing its job, it will now seek to discreetly investigate. Because at the heart of all of this, my friend, is a simple issue of transparency and accountability. If it's true, then there has been an attempt to subvert accountability and transparency at the highest levels of the US Congress. And your Congress, not your executive arms of government, your Congress is what runs the American country. You know, it's, it's, it's government of the people, for the people, by the people. And if it's true that congressional committees have been subverted in their efforts to get to the truth, that they've been lied to and misled, then under what legal basis was that done? And this is what Congress now needs to drill down into. This is why this matters so much, because there are people, I suspect, if this is true, in the military and the defence and intelligence community who, frankly, deserve to be publicly excoriated for their failure to be truthful and accountable. But we need a reckoning. You know, we need an accountability now. Right. That's, that's, where, that's where we're at now. I don't think it's going to come with Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's cross-examination in an open public hearing in a couple of days. But I do think that there are hearings that have already taken place in the Congress and there are hearings that are due to happen shortly as well, which will, I think, at least provide the beginnings of an answer. It's well, an exciting time. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. And I'm extremely appreciative for your coming on the show, sir. And so is, of course, uh, my members and, of course, my audience as well. But before we let you go, could you please let my uh, members and my audience know, public audience as well, um, any of your work, uh, anything that you would like to uh, to plug or promote, anything of the sort? Oh, that's very good of you. Now, I mean, I work as a journalist in Australia for a TV network called Channel 7, and you can watch all my documentaries that I've made on UAPs on the Channel 7 Spotlight YouTube channel. If you just put in Kultart Spotlight UFO, that'll probably find it. Um, I've written a book called In Plain Sight, which uh, is published by HarperCollins, and I've um, updated that edition that was published a year and a half ago, and it's going to be re-released in September in the United States with new information, and that'll be on your shelves in September. And as well as that, I do a podcast with my good friend and colleague, Bryce Zabel, called Need to Know. And you can find all the details of that at www.needtoknow.today. Awesome. Thank you so very much once again, sir. And to the audience, we will catch all of you very, very soon. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you, Dave. Bye-bye. And thanks to your listeners.